Please turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 43. We face uh, many fears, fears of the rising crime in our nation, the drug epidemic, fears about our health, fears about economic situations, uh, fears about family matters, fears about our children, our parents. Fears uh, can serve a good purpose. They can make us examine our spiritual roots. What do we really believe? How can we counter those fears? Uh, It can make us dig in Scripture until we uh, hit a solid foundation. In this uh, 43rd chapter of Isaiah, God addresses the nation of Israel uh, concerning fear. In uh, verse 1, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. Jacob and Israel, God's people. Actually, in a sense, God is addressing the true Israel, the true believers within the nation. And uh, he's addressing all of us who believe in the Lord Jesus. We are Abraham's children. We are God's true Israel if we believe in Christ. And he says to us, fear not. Why shouldn't we fear? Well, he tells us in verse 1, For I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. I have redeemed thee. Redemption in the Old Testament would point back to God's redemption of Israel from Egypt. In the Exodus, when God... Uh, took Israel out of Egypt with a mighty hand, parted the Red Sea. He redeemed them. And after that, uh, when he'd speak of, I've redeemed thee, it would point back to that great event. But here it also points forward to the fact that he's going to deliver them in another great deliverance from captivity in Babylon. Not Egypt this time, but Babylon. In the 39th chapter of Isaiah, he had spoken of the fact that because of their continuing rebellion against him, their idolatry, their sin, that they would go into captivity. But there would be a remnant that would come through, and he would redeem them. If you look at verse 14, you notice he says, Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, For your sake I have sent to Babylon, and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, whose cry is in the ships. Uh, He will deal with this Babylonian captivity. Now, they haven't gone into captivity yet. It'll be another hundred years before they go. But he had predicted that he would bring a remnant through that captivity and back to their land. But ultimately, redemption, whether from Egypt or from Babylonian captivity are only pictures of the far greater redemption that God would bring about through His Son, Jesus Christ. He's the great Redeemer. And the great redemption is the one wrought when God the Son became man, lived under the law, became our substitute, voluntarily underwent the wrath of God due to you and me for our sin and rebellion against Him. Christ redeemed us. Peter says, you're not redeemed with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot or blemish. 
Jesus said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost and to give his life a ransom for many. There's the ultimate redemption that every other redemption just was a foreshadow of. That's the great redemption. And when we put our faith in Christ, when we believe his gigantic claim to be God become man, suppose I made that claim, but he backed it up by doing things that only God could do. When we believe that, and we believe that he died in our stead and paid our debt of sin, and that he rose literally, when we believe that to be true, and then we cast ourselves on him like that dying thief, Lord, remember me. Lord, my only hope is you. Then we are forgiven. We are justified. We are redeemed. And uh, the term redemption means bought with a price. We're bought. We belong to him. He says, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You're mine. He calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. How did you become a Christian? How did you, how did you come to faith in him and surrender to him? No true faith without surrender. No real faith without repentance. No such thing as separating Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord. When we commit our lives to Him as Lord and Savior, then the reason we did that was He called us. Uh, the little boy who's trying to learn the Lord's Prayer, and he said, Our Father in heaven who hollered my name. <laughs> well, that's exactly what happened to you. That God hollered your name. Whom He predestined, them He also called. Whom He called... Then he justified. That was an effectual call that resulted in repentance and faith, a quickening. You who were dead in trespassing sins, hath he quickened, made alive. Uh, I called you, I redeemed you, you are mine, you belong to me. Now, why should you not fear? Because of your present relationship to him. You belong to him. He's redeemed you. And the result of that relationship, verse 2, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they will not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. The result of the relationship is, when we go through our trials, and you will go through trials, the fact that you belong to Him doesn't mean no trials. doesn't mean... You won't go through awful trials, fiery trials. Which of the believers in the Bible didn't go through trials? But I will be with you in those trials. And He is present. In uh, this country, years ago, American Indians had a custom whereby they would start to introduce their young boys into what it meant to have courage. And the little boy was a little boy was taken out into the woods by his father, and his father would leave him there to spend the night all alone in the woods with the beast and so on. His only protection a knife, and he was required to stay there and not run away, not cry, spend the night there in the woods with all of the unimaginable horrors that he would face in his. Imagination, not to mention in reality. But in the morning, a delightful thing appeared. 
his dad had been there all night long, hidden, but watching carefully with his bow and arrow to make sure that nothing really harmed his young son who was learning courage. Well, see, God says something like that to us. I'm with you. You belong to me. And I'm always there. You can't see me, but I'm there making sure that nothing hurts you. When you pass through the waters, they will not overflow you. Through the fire, you shall not be burned. You won't really be hurt. Now, that happened literally in the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They went into the fiery furnace, and they came out unburned, unsinged, without the smell of fire on them. And there was one like unto the Son of God with them in that fiery furnace. God manifesting His presence there, visibly. But others, and God can do that to you, see, where you wouldn't be even singed the next fiery trial you go through. But you say, wait a minute, Stephen got stoned to death, and John the Baptist was beheaded, and Isaiah was sawn in sunder, apparently. True. But weren't they hurt? Or were they hurt? What happened to Stephen when he was stoned? Did those stones separate him from God? Or did they introduce him into a fuller presence of the Lord? If I can't hurt your soul, I don't really hurt you. The last trial you went through, did it hurt? You said, oh, it hurt. Did it hurt your soul? Well, no, I think my soul really was better off for going through that trial. Exactly. God uses trials to refine us. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. What's the good? The good is not my comfort or my peace. The good is that I be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. How firm a foundation is saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume, thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake. I'll never, no never, no never forsake. Don't fear because of the relation and the result of that relation. I will be with thee. Don't fear because of God's past dealings with them and with you. Verse 3, For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. What he had done, he had redeemed them from Israel. Instead of Israel being given up to Egypt, Egypt was given up. Ethiopia was given up. Seba was given up. Nothing was allowed to interfere with God blessing his people. Why did he do that? Verse 4, Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. 
Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. God didn't choose Israel because they were better than any other people. He says, you are not more righteous, you are stick-necked people. I chose you because I loved you. He simply set his love on them as a nation. They didn't deserve it. You and I didn't deserve him to choose and love us. But if you're a Christian, you're precious in his sight. They were thus honored. They were blessed. He loved them. That's what he had done and what he would do. He said, I will give men for thee and people for thy life. I've sacrificed nations and I will sacrifice other things for you. Ultimately, he would sacrifice his son for all of us. Don't fear because of your present relation, because of his past dealings with you, because of his promise to gather his people. Verse 5, fear not. For I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. The immediate allusion is to this future gathering from the Babylonian captivity. But really that was just a picture of God gathering his people from around the world, north, south, east, and west. E.J. Young in his commentary says the reference is to the spiritual gathering of lost sinners in Jesus Christ. All God's people scattered throughout the world will one day be brought together, just as the historical Israel was brought back from Babylon and other lands of dispersion. Jesus said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. This is the Father's will that sent me, that of all that he's given me I should lose nothing, but raise them up again at the last day. He will gather from all over the world. I will say to the north, give up. To the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Here we are 2,700 years later at the other side of the world. And God has called you. He said to America, give up my sons and daughters to me. And he effectually called us. His purpose in creating his people, verse 7, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. Yea, I have made him. You exist for his glory, to display his attributes, wisdom, power, justice, love, in your salvation. Now, in the light of these things, in the light of the present relation that you have, I have redeemed thee, I will be with thee. Uh, in the light of his past dealings with you, his promise that nothing will hurt you, the fact that you are precious in his sight, that nothing will separate you. In the light of that, don't fear, he says. Do not fear. If the Indian boy's father had said to him, Son, I'll be here. You won't see me, but I'll be here. And when you hear... Uh, things that frighten you. Just remember, I'm watching. I'll protect you. But it made any difference to his boy to know that his dad was there? Sure. And when the, when the beast would roar or something would disturb him, he'd start to panic. And then he'd think, my dad is here. I can't see him, but I know he's here. He will be with me. He'll protect me. And he would calm his fears. Well, that's what God says. 
when uh, my son was little, he wouldn't go to bed without the light on. And I tried everything, but he didn't want the light on. One time we went to, to North Carolina to a retreat where I was speaking, and his group went apart for activities, and they taught him a little song. I will trust and not be afraid. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord on high is watching over me. I will trust and not be afraid. I'd sing it for you, but you'd rather not. <laughs> but when we came back from the retreat, uh, I was putting him to bed, and I walked out of the room, leaving the light on. He called me and said, Daddy, you don't have to leave the light on. I said, I don't. No. Why? And he quoted the song. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord on high is watching over me. I will trust and not be afraid. That's exactly what God says to us here. And we need to do exactly that. Cut the light out. God's there. We don't need to be afraid. No matter what threatens us, God is there. Christ is there. Well, we see what they're not to do. They're not to fear what they are to do. They are to be his witnesses. He challenges the nations to produce witnesses for their gods. In uh, verse 9, Let all the nations be gathered together. Let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say, It is truth. What other nation can tell ahead I'm going to deliver you from Babylon and bring it about. I'm going to bring my sons from afar and bring it about. What other nation can do what God did? Take a nation, uh, what other God can do what God did? Take a nation out of Egypt and establish it and uh, then tell the future. Witness if your gods can do this, he says to the heathen nations. Remember, nothing like that anywhere else in the world. Look at any other religion you want to. No other religion do you find predictive prophecy a part of. And yet it's part and parcel of Christianity from beginning to end where God tells hundreds and thousands of years ahead in detail what he's going to do and does it. Then he charges his people to be his witnesses in verse 10. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed. Neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. Beside me there is no Savior. I am the only true God. Christianity is absolutely intolerant of the concept of any other Savior except the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other salvation. There is only one true God. He exists in three persons. And there is no other approach to Him except through Jesus Christ. I am the way the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. Now, if you want Christianity in water, just water that statement down. But if you want Christianity, let it stand. That's our glory. That's what Christianity is all about. That's why they fed the Christians to the lions, because they went out and made that claim for their Savior. That's why Jesus was crucified, because he made that claim. We're his witnesses. We witness just as they would witness that there's only one true God. How had he equipped them to witness? In verse 12, I have declared and have saved and have showed 
When there was no strange God among you, therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yea, before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall prevent it? God had delivered them from Egypt. God had provided for them in the wilderness. God had sent prophets to tell the future and then brought the things about. God had chastened them when they disobeyed. God had given them experiences. He'd answered prayer. Think of Hezekiah's prayer when he's threatened by the Assyrian army. And God sends an angel to wipe out the Assyrian army. What about you? God calls you... And he calls me to be his witness. Has he given us any experience that we can witness to that he is the true God? Has he changed your life? Has God called you out of gross sin as he did me? Changed your life and your desires and what you're living for? Has God done anything in your marriage as he did in mine? Where he takes two people who are at odds with each other and begins to change them? Has he answered prayer? You're his witness. We witness because of our experience of the true God. Well, the call is not to fear. Fear not. New Testament counterpart of this passage would be Romans 8, wouldn't it? Romans 8, where Paul says, If God be for us, who can be against us? He's countering the fear of opposition. And there'll be a lot of opposition. But if God be for us, who can be against us? And then he counters the fear of privation. If God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? He's countering the fear of, if I really follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly, I'll lose in the process. No, no, no. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things that are truly good? And then he, he uh, counters the fear of God's rejection. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? If God's declared you not guilty, who can declare you guilty? The fear of separation. What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or nakedness or, or, or anguish or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I am persuaded that neither height nor depth, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor any other created thing is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, says Paul. And if it can't do that, it can't hurt you. What are you afraid of? God be for us. Who can be against us? If nothing can separate us from the love of God, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Don't need to be afraid. You do need to witness. You do need to share the reality of Christ with others. You need to trust Him. Trust Him with everything. We have the Lord's Supper here before us, and it's a time of rededication as we firm again our faith in our Lord and as we trust in Him and commit ourselves to Him. John White, the Christian psychiatrist, tells of an occasion when he uh, placed his uh, wife and child on a plane to go to Bolivia, where he was to meet them on another plane later. As he drove home, suddenly he was overcome with a premonition that the plane was going to crash and they were going to be killed. And 
he fought that and he couldn't get away from it. Just this fear gripped him and he went home and got on his knees and said, Oh God, take away this fear. Protect my children. Protect my wife. And, and as he prayed, suddenly it was as if God spoke and God says, uh, Can't you trust me? Well, yes, Lord, if you'll, if you'll return them safely to me. And if I don't, his heart froze. You won't trust me if I don't, that I still love them and that I'll take care of them? Lord, I trust you even then. The plane crashed. Everybody on the plane was killed. But his wife had the same premonition, and she got off one stop before the plane crashed. Trust him. Let us pray. Lord, uh, thank you so much for this great word, fear not. And may we be men and women of courage, trusting in you, and not afraid of those things that threaten us because of your promise to be with us and that they won't really hurt us. And Lord, when they seem to hurt, let us remember your presence and your protection. Father, we would pray for any present who've never really committed their life. They need to fear everything. Anything could introduce them in a moment to hell. Lord, may they turn immediately and trust in you and surrender to you, believing your great love in the gift of your Son. If you've never done that, do it right now in your heart. Turn to Christ. Surrender to Him. Pray in your heart like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for redeeming us, for dying for sinners. Lord, I do surrender and I do trust you to save me. Forgive me as a gift. Come into my life. Amen.